Let's turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Verse 23 says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you today for the privilege we have of being together to sing praises to your name, to reflect upon the story of Christmas and the coming of your Son. And Father, as we continue to study Matthew chapter 1 this morning, may our hearts be once again refreshed and blessed by your word. Lord, give me clarity of thoughts and give me wisdom of speech. And may we exalt your son today and exalt your holy name. And may we leave this place having known that we've been in your presence saying, Hallelujah, what a Savior. God, now as we study your word together, we pray. And we'll be sure to give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Before the advent of the Christmas carol, Christmas celebrations or the celebration of Christmas have become so depraved and rowdy that the observance of the joyous season was once forbidden by the British Parliament. The meaning of Christmas has become uh, lost in the storm of reveling, drunkenness, rioting and depravity. So much so that decent people found it necessary to stay indoors for safety during the festive season. The situation became so shameful that in 1644, the British Parliament passed strict laws making it illegal to commemorate the season in any way whatsoever. You see, the fact is that Christmas is empty and devoid of all meaning without Christ. And today, for some, Christmas means getting gifts. To some, it means hard work. To some, it means stressful shopping. To some, a visit home, to some a sad memory of the loss of a loved one, to some party time and to others Christmas means absolutely nothing. It's just another day in their life. But you know to the child of God Christmas means everything. It means that God loved you and I so much that he has given to us the best gift that he could ever give. He gave to us his son, Jesus, the Savior of mankind. In Matthew chapter 1 and verses 18 and 25, we have revealed to us Christ, our Redeemer, the one who God planned from eternity would come and die for us. In our study of Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, we've been looking at the characteristics of Jesus, our Redeemer, as revealed to us in this passage. Here we see that he is our pure redeemer. He's our planned redeemer. He's our precious redeemer. And now today I want you to note with me that he's our preeminent redeemer. The word preeminence means one who surpasses all others. One who is more important or more powerful than all others. 
And that certainly describes Jesus Christ. It's true of him, isn't it? He's called here in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. If that doesn't make him preeminent, I don't know what else does. He is the preeminent redeemer. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He truly surpasses all others. He is the most important and the most powerful person involved in our salvation. Now, this name, Emmanuel, this is the only time that it's mentioned in the New Testament. But it's vitally important to our understanding of our Redeemer. So this morning, consider with me some truths about the name Emmanuel that reveal to us his preeminence. First of all, note with me the miracle that the name implies. The miracle that the name implies. Let me go back to verse 22 just to get the context. Now, all of this was done that was might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son that shall call his name Emmanuel, which, being interpreted, is God with us. The miracle that the name implies. You know, in a sense, every baby that is born is involved in a miracle. You know, every doctor stands in the presence of a miracle every time they deliver a newborn baby, it is miraculous that God has designed for us to have children the way he has, and the birth of a child is miraculous. But the virgin birth, or the birth of Jesus Christ, is a greater miracle because he was born of a virgin. It says that in verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son. Now he's quoting here a prophecy. In verse 23. And this prophecy is ushered in with the phrase, Behold, a virgin shall conceive. And the word behold here is there to command our attention, to command our admiration. What's to follow ought to cause you and I to sit up and take note, but also cause you and I to be in total awe of admiration of the person that is about to be born of a virgin. Now Matthew quotes Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 where the Jewish nation is told that a sign should be given to them so they might identify their saviour, their Messiah. And they are told that their Messiah shall be born of a virgin and he shall be called Emmanuel. A virgin shall conceive and by her God shall be manifest in the flesh. And it's because of that fact that God has manifested the flesh that his birth ought to command our attention. It ought to command our adoration. Not only because his birth was supernatural and his birth was altogether extraordinary, but that he was born of a virgin. And also because he came to be the spotless, sinless sacrifice for you and for me. This name Emmanuel, God with us, ought to cause you and I to, at this Christmas, contemplate just who it is that was born in Bethlehem of Judea. This is none other God than God manifest in the flesh for you and for me with the intent of dying upon the cross of Calvary. Christ was born not of an empress or of a queen, 
because he didn't appear the first time in an outward pomp and splendor. He was born of a virgin. He was laid in a manger there in that stable in Bethlehem because this one who was born was born to die. He was born of lowly birth because he came for all mankind to die for all mankind, that all mankind might be saved. He was born in Bethlehem in a stable for you and for me. At least five times in Matthew chapter 1, the virgin birth is clearly expressed. In verse 18 it says, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. In verse 20, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Verse 23, a virgin shall be with child. Verse 25, he, shall, uh, he, he knew her not till she brought forth her firstborn son. In verse 25, her firstborn son. Not their firstborn, but her firstborn son. He was born of a virgin. And the repeated emphasis of the virgin birth in this text, in Matthew chapter 1, and also the same emphasis in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, makes the deniers of the virgin birth blatant disbelievers in the word of God. You know, those who deny the virgin birth simply do not want to believe the ever so plain facts of God's word that Jesus Christ was born miraculously there in Bethlehem of Judea. His birth was unique, it was different, it was miraculous in every way. He was born of a virgin. Joseph had nothing to do with the conception and the birth of Jesus. This was all of the Holy Ghost. It was a miraculous birth. You see, the virgin birth is vital. His birth had to be different so that he could be free from sin. And only through the virgin birth could he be the perfect God-man. Could he be the perfect sacrifice for your sin and my sin. That's the miracle of the name Emmanuel, God with us. God becoming a man to die for you and for me. The miracle of Christmas is not that a baby was born, but that God became a man to dwell among men to die for our sins. And beloved, he is indeed the preeminent redeemer. He truly surpasses all others. And we can praise God today for the miracle of the birth of Christ. Not only is he preeminent, not only is his preeminence revealed in the miracle that the name implies, but in his, his preeminence is revealed in the mystery that the name implies. It's name Emmanuel. There's something mysterious about it. Emmanuel, which being interpreted, is God with us. You know, when Jesus was born, the seeming impossible happened. God became a man. Now think about that. You know, to those of us who know the Savior, that's a, a phrase that just slips off our lips, doesn't it? You know, God became a man. God incarnate. The, these are words that we know well, but think about what that means. God, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of the universe, the, the eternal God, in the person of Jesus Christ, left heaven's glory and he became a man. He dwelled amongst his creation. He became one of the creations in the sense he became a man. 
That is remarkable. The truth proved by the virgin birth is that the Son of God took unto himself a second nature and became the perfect God-man. This name Emmanuel is not just a glib name that's only mentioned a couple of times in the Bible and only once in the New Testament that somehow we just read over it and we forget it. This name Emmanuel signifies a mysterious name, a mysterious truth, a very precious truth. It teaches us that Jesus is God incarnate. God leaving heaven's glory and dwelling amongst you and I and ultimately, some 30 years later, going to the cross of Calvary and there dying as our substitutes that we might have our sins forgiven and we might have a home in heaven. That's what Christmas is all about. It's about Emmanuel, God, with us. He's the preeminent Redeemer. For there is no one more important to our salvation than Emmanuel. If Jesus Christ was simply a man then he's not our saviour. If Jesus Christ is not God incarnate, he's not our saviour. It was no point in dying on the cross. He just died as another man died and he was buried and we might all forget him. If he is not God incarnate, then there's nothing to celebrate this Christmas. But what we celebrate on Christmas Day is this mysterious truth that God became a man for you and for me. You know, the Jews had God with them in types and shadows, dwelling between the cherubim in the Holy of Holies and the tabernacle and the temple, but never was he present with man as he was that day in Bethlehem, when as John chapter 1, verse 14 tells us, the word became flesh. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of Son of God, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. The same chapter tells us the beginning was the word, and the word was God. And the word God became flesh. And here we see the two natures of Christ brought together in the person of the Redeemer. When you and I look at that manger, we look at that cradle, we see more than a babe in a manger. We see God manifest in the flesh. It's the mystery of Christmas. This is what drew the angels from heaven to speak to the shepherds and say, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This is what drew the shepherds from the hillsides out of Bethlehem, down to Bethlehem to that stable to behold that which was told unto them. This is the one that drew the shepherds from there out to the streets of Bethlehem to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what drew the wise men from over there afar to come to Christ in the house and worship him. Because Christ, the Savior, the Son of God, the God-man, was born in Bethlehem. You see, as God manifests in the flesh, and that's a mystery. Go with me to 1 Timothy, please. Here's a great verse. 1 Timothy 3, 16. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. It's amazing how many of the 3.16s in the New Testament actually are significant and here is one of them first timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 
And without controversy, great as the mystery of godliness, God was manifest in the flesh, justified by the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Jesus is not just another man. He's the God-man. Emmanuel, God with us. And when the Apostle Paul says, without controversy, here in this verse 16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, the word without controversy there means there is really no debate about this matter. It's emphatic. What the Apostle is saying is saying you can debate whatever you like, but when it comes to the matter of the birth of Jesus Christ, the mystery of godliness, the God manifest in the flesh, there is no debate. It's a fact. And he states it as a fact. It's without, uh, a de- uh, it's without debate for it's without doubt the greatest of truths. God became a man. And know what he says. He says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. There's no question here. He declares he was manifest in the flesh. It's a certain fact. This is the essence of the incarnation. That the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, added to his deity humanity. And he was manifest in the flesh. He is God incarnate. Now, just in case you don't know, the word incarnate means embodied in human form. Embodied in human form. He's God incarnate. God embodied in human form. Jesus was not just a good man. He was not just a good teacher. He was not just a prophet. He was and is Emmanuel, God with us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the pre-existent Word who was present at creation and now in Bethlehem is in the flesh. And so Emmanuel, God with us, means that we have God in the flesh and therefore in Jesus we have a preeminent redeemer. One who surpasses all others, the most important uh, person in providing our salvation. He's the preeminent redeemer. As the perfect God-man, Jesus truly can save us from our sins. Notice what it says about his other name in verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. We have declared in Matthew chapter 1 the virgin birth. We have declared his name should be called Jesus. We're told in verse 25 that that's exactly what they called him. They called his name Jesus. And the reason why he's called Jesus is because he'll save people from their sins. Verse 23 tells us how he accomplishes that. Jesus Christ can be Savior of you and I, because he is Emmanuel, God with us. If he was not Emmanuel, it's no point calling him Jesus. But he's called Jesus, for he shall save their people, his people from their sins, because he is God with us. That's what enables him to be our Savior. We're told also that she shall bring forth the Son, in verse 21 and verse 23, 
Behold, in verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and she shall bring forth the son. Here God's word declares that he became a man so he might die for mankind. For only someone like us could represent us before a holy God and die for us. You know, I don't know how many times we read Matthew chapter 1, and I, I think sometimes we miss a lot of what's been said in Matthew chapter 1 because in this name Emmanuel, there is so much embodied, and in this story, there's so much embodied. When it says that she, she shall bring forth the Son and she shall call his name Emmanuel, we have here uh, that wonderful truth of this pairing together these two natures, Christ as the God-man, so that as a man he could die for mankind because if he was not like us, he could not die for us. 1 Corinthians 15.22 says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall be made alive. In the Garden of Eden, Adam stood as our representative. God declared that whatever Adam did would then be representative of all mankind. So when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, death passed upon all men for all have sinned. God deemed him to be our representative. And while it may seem a little bit odd in Genesis that God would want one man to represent you and I at the beginning of time, and if he disobeyed God, then you and I were all found guilty in Adam for one man's behavior, it may seem strange in Genesis chapter 1, but when you get to Romans and Corinthians, you start to understand why it's important. Because if one man represents us in the garden, then one man can represent us at Calvary. And Adam represented us in the garden and Jesus Christ becomes the second Adam and represents us at Calvary so that he could die in our place so we could be saved. We could praise God for his decision to make Adam our representative in the garden because that made it possible for Christ to come as the second Adam, the God-man, the perfect sacrifice to die on Calvary so that you and I could be saved because he stood in our place that day at Calvary. Only Emmanuel, God with us, could be a perfect sacrifice for sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be declared the righteous of God in him. He had to become a man so he could die in our place. 1 Peter 2.24 tells us that he bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might be saved. The message clearly stated here is that Jesus is God and that's vital for our salvation. He is our preeminent redeemer for he indeed is more important than any other. More important than any other man for he is the God-man, the savior of the world. Not only is preeminence revealed in the miracle and the mystery that his name implies, but its preeminence is revealed lastly in the meaning that the name implies. The meaning that the name implies. His name implies his preeminence as a redeemer. For Christ, who is God, is with us. Emmanuel, being interpreted, is God with us. He's not absent. He's with us. He's not dead. He's alive. He's with us. 
He became a man so that he could meet our greatest need, which is the need for salvation, so he could satisfy the righteous demands of a holy God. A sinless sacrifice died for sinners like you and me, for the wage of sin is death. And Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary, and there he died as our substitute on Calvary. He shed his blood for your sins and my sins. He died in our place. He left heaven's glory to become a man so he might stand in our stead in that day some 2,000 years ago where he hung between heaven and earth upon the cross of Calvary and he died crying out, it is finished. And there paid the price of our redemption. And he demonstrated the acceptance of that sacrifice by his resurrection from the dead and ascension back to glory. He dwelled among us and now he lives eternally for us. He's not an absent dead religious leader, beloved, but he's very much alive and present saviour. Praise God, he lives! As the hymn writer says, he lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me, he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. He's our preeminent redeemer. For he lives. And because he lives, he can impart salvation to all who will call upon him. He did not come and die and forget about us. He came and died and now desires to save us. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. One of the greatest truths of the Christmas story is that Christ is willing to save all who will call upon him. The greatest work of Jesus isn't guiding the sun and the moon and the stars. It isn't deciding the, deciding the destinies of the nations. It isn't ruling over the angels. His greatest work is in the realm of salvation. He came to save you and I from our sin. Beloved, we were hell-bound sinners. We were destitute. We were without hope. The only place you and I were heading was to hell and the lake of fire for all of eternity, separated from God in torments because we were sinners before a holy God. But Jesus Christ left heaven's glory. He came to earth, born in Bethlehem, lived amongst us as a perfect example and lived a perfect life as the God-man died upon the cross of Calvary, was buried, rose again the third day, ascended up into glory so that you and I one day can join him in glory forever and ever because of his sacrifice for you and for me. That's the story of Christmas. Not a babe in a manger. 
but Christ the Savior was born. And the truth is he will save all who will call upon him for salvation. One of the greatest verses related to this story is Romans 10, 13, where it says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He will save anyone and everyone who will call upon his name for salvation. That's a blessed truth, and that's the truth of Christmas. That's the meaning implied in his name. He came to earth, became God incarnate, so he might save us from the penalty of sin by washing us in his own blood. What a wonderful Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. A prince wanted to find a lady suitable to be his queen. And he was out one day running an errand in the local village for his father. When he passed through a poor section of the village, as he glanced out of the windows of the carriage, his eyes fell upon a beautiful peasant girl. During the ensuing days, he often passed by the young lady and soon fell in love. But he had a problem. How would he seek her hand? He could order her to marry him, but even a prince wants a bride to marry him freely and voluntarily, not through coercion. He could put on his most splendid uniform and drive up to her front door in a carriage drawn by six horses. But if he did that, he would never be certain that the maiden loved him or was simply overwhelmed with all of the splendor. The prince came up with another solution. He would give up his kingly robe. He would move into the village, entering not with a crown, but in the garb of a peasant. And he lived among the people, shared their interests and concern, and talked their language. In time, the maiden grew to love him for who he was and because he first loved her. Beloved, that's what God did for us. The king of all heaven left heaven's glory, put on him the garb of humanity, lived amongst us that we might know that he loved us. And he demonstrated that love by dying for you and I upon the cross of Calvary so that you and I might be saved and you and I then dwell with him in his father's house forever. The almighty God came to earth, humbled himself so he could save you and save me. Oh, what love. Emmanuel, God with us, Beloved is a glorious name, for he speaks of the love that is beyond all human reckoning and beyond all human comprehension, that Christ would leave heaven's glory, that he would dwell with man so that he could become our Savior, is what Christmas is all about. It's the story of Emmanuel, our pure, planned, precious, and preeminent Redeemer, praise the Lord for Jesus, Emmanuel.
I trust you know him as your Savior today. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your pure, precious, preeminent Redeemer. We thank you for Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. And Lord, if there's somebody here today who doesn't know you as their Savior, may they realize that Christmas is the greatest love story of all time. That your son left heaven's glory to become humanity so that he might die, that we might dwell with him forever. Lord, this Christmas, may we not think about the festivity, but think about Emmanuel, God with us. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.